0: You're listening to Car Seat Questions, a podcast for parents of curious kids. I'm Lauren.
1: And I'm Eddie. And if you're anything like us, you either have a kid or you care for a kid with questions. Questions about all sorts of things.
0: And if you have a kid with questions, you yourself probably have questions. Like, how do I engage my child on hard topics in a way that is honoring to God and digestible for a developing brain and a childlike spirit?
1: If that's you too, we're glad you're here. We don't have all the answers, and we won't pretend like we do. But we are grateful to know some really smart, godly people whose expertise is in the hearts, minds, and souls of little ones growing up in today's world.
0: So, for the next half hour, hop into the passenger seat, buckle your belt, and become childlike with us as the Lord takes us where He wants us to go.
1: Enjoy the show! In this series, uh, we are finding it important to talk about the heart, mind, and soul of a child, and today we have the pleasure of talking with. Can I call you Elizabeth? Please do. Yes, that would uh, be my name. We have the pleasure <laughs> of speaking with uh, Elizabeth Smith today as we talk about the mind development of a child.
0: Elizabeth, can you share with us about who you are, what you're doing here at Moody, and yeah, what you teach?
2: I would love to. So I'm Professor Elizabeth Smith, and I'm the program head for Children and Family Ministry, and I am the field chair for Education and Counseling. So I work with. Human services, uh, pre-counseling majors, elementary education, and children and family, which I get to lead that whole program, which is great. Uh, Then I get to do some study abroad trips here, which I love, and Lauren and I have connected on that. I've written a book called God never changes, but my family always does, and that was really fun. I don't think I ever want to write another book, by the way, so (laughs) happy to do a podcast. Don't ask me to write, but um, I love working with our students here at Moody and being able to help prepare them to work with kids and their families, however they may want to do that, whether it's in counseling or the church or education, but if you have a heart to reach the next generation for Christ, my job is to help them be able to do that. So that is what I get to do here. I'm an LCPC, which is a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. Um, And so I get to train counselors to how to be counselors. And I especially get to work with those counselors who want to work with kids and families that are going through tough times. Mm. So that is kind of what I do. What and else would you like to know? What about your family? I do have a family. So, here, this whole thing we'll talk about with the mind and everything. Yes. Already done this. <laughs> They're all raised and they are all young adults and married. So, we've been blessed. We had three children, or we do boy, girl, boy. So, mm-hmm. we are empty nesters of only a few months and we both miss them, but we love them too. So, but Brian and I have been married 33 years, um, have our three kids. They're all raised and married and often ministry. We're very blessed awesome. that they know Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we get to do that. And my husband's a pastor, so I'm a pastor's wife on top of all of that. And we've been in ministry our entire married life. So
0: yeah, That's great. Thanks for sharing with us. Of course. So a little bit about our podcast. This is our first episode. And the whole podcast, we want to talk about how do you answer life's big questions for Mm. kids, whether theological or just life questions about what's going on in our world. And a lot of times, I mean, our son isn't quite asking these types of questions yet, but as we prepare, like, how do you answer these questions for kids? Mm -hmm. And so today in our first episode, we're wanting to talk in three different ways. How do kids develop um, in their mind, which is what we'll talk with you about, like their brain, how does their brain develop and what they know and Mm -hmm. can understand? And then we're gonna talk about how do they develop with their feelings and emotions? And then also how do they develop spiritually in their souls? How do we kind of come alongside our children in this whole process of them becoming people? Great. Yeah. Tell me how old your son is. Our son is two. Oh, fun! Yeah, so he's busy. Just, uh, yeah, yes. he's quite. You quite that... chatty. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> he never stops talking. No, it never stops. No, right.
2: Yeah. So you have a loud, busy home. Yes, uh,
1: it's a war zone. Sure.
2: <laughs> yes. You used to think taking a shower was so you could get clean. <laughs> now it's called a break. Yes,
1: it's a luxury actually. It's quite a right. luxury.
0: <laughs> like, how long can I stay in here? Right, and, and usually
2: use... then it's when your spouse. Get out of that shower! <laughs> yep. Get out! I need help! Yeah, right now right. It's
0: our, he's learned to knock on the door, oh, and so he says, "I'm so sorry." Knock on the door and tries <laughs> to come in,
1: and he just barges in. <laughs> yeah, he does. So it's not locked.
0: Oh, oh. Bless him. <laughs> yeah,
2: it just stays that way for a while. I'm just warning you, just in case yeah. you want to know that. But how fun! But two keeps you on your toes. Oh yeah, yeah, and always right.
0: Yeah. We're here to talk about the brain. We're here to talk yeah. about the his, brain. We can talk Absolutely. about his brain too, but of course. So
1: I just want to say, as an Enneagram Five, <laughs> I am all about the knowledge <laughs> and the science. So lay it on us, please. Yes. Oh, and I'm I, excited. When, we, when I heard that we were doing, you know, heart, mind, and soul, I was like, man, when the brain science comes, I am just going to be mm. as curious as listeners. Excellent. Because uh, again, that's a another unique thing about this podcast is mm-hmm. that uh, we get to be as curious as people who are going to be mm-hmm. listening to this in the future. Uh, so I'm just excited uh, just to learn Great. and hear what you have to say.
2: Well, I'm an Enneagram 7, so mm. I'm so happy mm. I get to be with you in person <laughs> <Yes>. because <laughs> I'm all about the relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love studying this, and I've studied it, as I said, for many, many years now. Um, as, uh, there's just a lot of science that has come out, and mm. actually a lot of the science in the last five years, we've learned through what happens to kids when they've gone through trauma. So that's a whole other episode, though, right? So that's a whole other thing. But what we've gleaned from the kind of research, um, and it actually started, well, we have a lot of neuropsycho kind of information about it. A long time ago, there was a theorist called Jean Piaget. It's fun to say because he was French. Um, (laughs) And he was fascinated by his children. Mm -hmm. And as he watched them, he realized that as they grew in age and stature, they actually began to make different decisions. And they would respond to things differently. And so he began the systemized observation of children to figure that out. And then he added some scientific research on it. And he basically came up with saying in those first year of life, infancy, and then you could look at the next stage of life, toddler and early childhood, and that's the second stage where you're all in. And then the third would be elementary and then going into early adolescence. And then your fourth and... Last stage is actually adolescence and all the Mm. way through adulthood. But if you look at that, three out of the four stages that he identified all happen basically by the time you're 11. And two of it, half of that brain development happens by the time you are five years old. It is uh, There was another research that says 90% of your brain development takes place in the first five years of life. And the last 10% actually just builds on that. We see a radical change when they enter adolescence. Mm-hmm. That's huge of what happens to the brain. But if you think about that, those first five years of life and then going into middle childhood, which is your third stage, how important is it for us to understand how does this human life work just practically, physically? Um, a verse that I would bring up is in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul is rebuking the church. They're kind of, if I was going to write a commentary on First Corinthians, it would be the church that's one big hot mess. That's what they are. They made more bad decisions than you can imagine. And he finally, one of the things he said to them is, God is a God of order. He is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And if we take that to heart on who God is, hmm. we see that in the development of the human being. So for our children, as they are born, and then we watch them develop all the way, and let's just pick from birth all the way through elementary school. So before they go into middle school, we see this massive change, but it's orderly. And it's actually what we would consider universal. Mm-hmm. So matter what country you're in, what historical period, God has a blueprint of how we are created And you're going to see that again and again. What's nice about that is we can actually begin to predict things. So if we study typical human development and typical meaning the majority, we would look at the majority of of how we develop as people. I do want to give a shout out to our precious families who have children that are atypical in their development. So we're looking at neuroatypical, and this may be because they were born with a rare genetic disorder, or maybe something happened while the child was young. But in other words, these are our children who have special needs because they have atypical development. So what we're gonna talk about today is, again, that typical development Knowing, however, also that children come in different packages, right? Mm-hmm. Different personalities, like you're a five, <laughs> I'm a seven. Lauren, what are you on the Eni a group? six. You're a Oh, look at this, five, six, seven. Time. We're like the perfect <laughs> team right here, right? <laughs> um, but we're different. So we do perceive and process information differently. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this. It is easier to change a child's IQ than it is their personality. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It is easier to change that child's IQ, but knowing that then – We understand they're going to process information differently because of their personality. But if they have more typical development, we can kind of predict what they're going to be doing, what they're going to be saying, how they're going to be processing things. And if we understand that orderly pattern, then that can take (laughs) some of the pressure off of parents because I know where they're at and where they're coming from Mm -hmm. and where we're going and having that roadmap. It's always nice to have a roadmap. Year are a five, you would like roadmaps. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, given to me all day. Right, like they'll
0: get there someday. Like they'll understand this someday.
2: Yeah, what this you stage? Yeah, if your GPS went down for you, it's a crisis. I'm thinking mm-hmm. it's the beginning of an adventure. Right. <laughs> yeah. So those personalities do things differently, but at the same time, we're on a we're on a journey here, and kind of have want to have an idea of where we're going and where we're going to end up. Yeah. Can you help us understand like what kids can understand at what ages or stages? Absolutely. Yeah. So zero to one, and we're going to start with infancy. And we may think, well, what does that have? They're they're not talking really yet. They're they're starting all that beginning prelingual kind of communication. But it sets the stage. It is really important. Um, Everything is new. Everything. They've never been in this world before. So that first stage of infancy, it is a time of just gathering through their senses who they are and how this world works. Everything is new. And then when they find out something, um, you can kind of see how excited they are. First, they'll be confused, but then they'll be excited. Um, And then they take whatever they've gleaned and they take it into that second stage, which is your infancy and um, early elementary, or or early early childhood, so from two to five. So zero to one, yeah, not a lot of questions. You're not looking at a lot of questions from the car seat, even maybe up to the age of two. But on the other hand, between one and two, they're going to be beginning to try to communicate and to interact with what they have. So between one and two, you're going to see them, what they've learned about life is there's a door. And I want something that's on the other side of the door. If uh, they're going to figure out, they're just going to kind of do what they've always done until they get what they want. At the age of two, they're going to start asking questions about it. Why is the door closed? So think about it this way. Zero to one, there's a door. There's a door. (laughs) I even learn at the second half, like six to 12 months, that door stays there. Even if I don't see it, if I'm in another Mm -hmm. room, if I come back, that door's still there. We call that object permanence. And to Mm -hmm. them, it's amazing. Right? So my husband does magic tricks. Don't do it with little, like zero (laughs) to six months old because like, look, here's a pair of glasses. Oh, it goes away. The kid's like, yeah. Yeah, I know. So, I know. Just, things disappear. It's like crazy. I know. Like, why do you care? <laughs> but six to 12 months, you'll go, Do you see it? it? Goes away. They'll look at you with that look, right? Like, Hmm, maybe, maybe it didn't go away. Maybe. You know, when you, uh, they have those, they're not really sure what's permanent and what's not. They're just trying mm-hmm. to figure that out. When it comes, if you hopefully take your children to church, Six to 12 months is when they start to cry in the nursery mm-hmm. because here's this parent, this, this permanent caretaker, perhaps it's a grandparent that they've attached to, and they left. Well, before, they weren't interacting with a world that was predictable anyway, so it doesn't cause a lot of stress. But now, six to 12 months, I'm just kind of learning what's, what can I depend on and what can't I depend on? And you just left. And I'm not sure you're coming back, but you might, so we cry. Yeah, because they can't figure out their world. Great thing, though, if you're a nursery worker, they have no they have their short term memory is super (laughs) short. So just distract them and they can get happy pretty quickly. But as they realize that mom and dad, my grand, these are permanent fixtures in my life. And if I can begin to have those patterns that they'll come back, that predictability for them allows their stress to go down. Right? So when you're looking at zero to one and they're just gathering senses of their world, really pay attention to how they're interacting with it and what they need. And can you imagine you live in a world where nothing's predictable? Well, I would cry too. right? <laughs> so we can offer comfort in predictable patterns, whatever those patterns are. From one to two, now that I've learned that this door that I was wondering about is absolutely going to be there, well, if I know what's on the other side, I just want to get through it. So I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to try to run into the door. I can pound on the door. Maybe if I sit out and just cry loud enough or long enough outside the door, if you're on the other side, maybe you'll open it for me. Then as they've learned how to negotiate their world, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at them negotiating and trying to figure out their world from one to two. How do I get what I want? Right? And usually the first time they try something, it's not going to work. We want to see them be frustrated, and you want to see them try to figure out another way of doing it. If you don't allow children to be frustrated, and I'm gonna say between the ages of one and three, where they have to try to figure it out for themselves, they're not gonna learn. Let them be frustrated. It's okay if they're unhappy a little bit. Right? What else couldn't you do? What else could you try? Now, don't do it for an hour. That's cruel. <laughs> but a few minutes isn't going to kill them or you. So let them figure it out. Every time you allow these toddlers and early childhood children to engage with frustration and trying to figure things out, the brain, you're going to love this, Eddie, it actually changes. The very neurons in your brain change. When we're first born, all, they're not all connected. I mean, could you imagine? Okay, we're in Chicago, a lot of different what do you want to do? The Eisenhower or whatever the names of all the other interstates and stuff are, or the streets. Could you imagine if you go down a street and it just ends? And you're you're just constantly finding like the road's not completed. How am I gonna get anywhere? That's your brain when you're little. Well, how do we allow these roads to be connected? You have to let them. Figure things out, right? And then when they do figure something out, if it causes you inconvenience or you have to clean up something, take a deep breath. And this is where patience is so important with little ones, right? Just pray, ask God to give you that fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Praise the Lord. Because, for example, when they find out what gravity is and they take that Cheerio or whatever, And they realize that if I put it over my, you know, like my little high chair that I'm in, huh, every time I do that, it hits the floor every time. That's fascinating. So they just keep doing it. And then if the dog's nearby, the dog gets super (laughs) happy. And they're like, this is a great world. There's a thing. They don't know the word gravity, you know, but the dog's coming. And they're just enjoying figuring it out. But then you hit two to three years old and now they want to go, why? or where, or what, because they're trying to take all the pieces that are on the table and they're trying to begin to put it together. And that's what you do when you get those car seat questions. We're just trying to take what we have discovered about our world and put it together. Um, and then if you take into account, where is their development? you know, Are there any issues? Uh, what about their personality? Is there anything we wanna take it? you can kind of figure out then that as they ask questions, you can begin to answer them in a way that's appropriate for them. So the thing about ages and stages, Lauren, what are they doing at each of these different stages is great, but then really, even from the child, like what are they really trying to get at? So if they ask, you know, where is grandma when she dies, she's probably not looking for how do you understand heaven or, okay. They just want to know in general where is she am i going to see her again again the idea of permanence i saw her and now she's not there am i going to see her again very basic Mm -hmm. so think about where they're at where those questions can come from and then just because they ask you a question from the car seat doesn't mean you can't ask a question from the driver's seat (laughs) you know help me what would you like to know you can ask them why would you ask that (laughs) you know what are you looking for and so I'll tell you this and then, you know, ask me any other questions you like. Uh, my son, who was, he was only in, I think he was four years old at the time. My husband, who is a pastor, so as a good pastor and pastor's wife, we would ask them, how do you go to heaven? How would you go to heaven? And our son looked at him like, don't you know? You're the pastor. You're the dad. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but other than that, he goes, what? He goes, "What?" Well, I would like to know. You, you tell me, how do you go to heaven? Dad, you have to die. (laughs) You have to die. (laughs) He is what we call a concrete learner, meaning you've got to see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, hear it. It's very concrete. So when you ask a big abstract question, or even when they're asking a big uh, abstract question, they are concrete operational. It's got to be something that they can put in their hands, something that they can, it's a very linear um uh, as they organize and kind of operate within their world so we just see from hey there's a brand new world how does what's there what stays there what do we do and then i start asking questions how does it go together but up until the age of 10 they just want very concrete answers you don't have to be more abstract than that because their brains not developed for it mm. you don't really see abstract reasoning until about the ages of 11 or 12 mm. there and if they do try to think abstractly it's going to be an, it's going to be a logic that's really not logical yeah you know so an example of that would be a child is told there's let's say they're 5 or 6 years old that the parents are getting a divorce it's not uncommon at all for the child to think what is the last thing i did wrong because when i do something mm. wrong mom and dad get mad right mm. do something wrong parents are upset wow if they're divorcing that's that's bad that's hard It must be because something bad happened. Hmm. I must have done something wrong. In their mind, that's completely logical. So if they knocked over a lamp and broke the lamp, the reason mom and dad are getting a divorce is because I broke the lamp. The hard thing is you can tell them all day long it's not because you broke the lamp. You can try to convince them of that. It's going to be very hard for them to see that because their brain lives in a concrete world. It's not that logical. You just have to keep telling them the truth again and again and again. They're just gathering information and all you can do is you tell them the truth and you affirm them. You tell them the truth and affirm them and as they get older, one day they may believe the truth.
1: And that's yeah. that's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, my parents divorced when I was young mm. and uh, I was 12 and my sister was nine and we had those very questions. Like, what is like, first of all, like what's happening? You know, like what, our parents not gonna be together anymore? Like, what does that even mean? And then it turned into, well, what did we do? Mm-hmm. You know, I thought we were pretty cool kids, you know <laughs> what yeah. what you know, what did we do to to cause this? And again, mm-hmm. like, as much as our parents affirmed us, it's not you, it's us and what we're going through it was It was hard to understand yeah. uh, what was happening and if we were the cause yeah. of that.
2: and yeah. look how normal you are. <laughs> that was very yeah. normal and to be expected, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah Elizabeth, mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, children. Are oftentimes uh frustrated when they can't figure how, how to do things. Our son has a busy board at mm. home mm. and it has buckles, it has buttons, it has velcro strips, it has shoelaces, you name it. And he, as you mentioned, gets frustrated very quickly. And there have been times where, you know, the dad comes in and to say today, hey, this is how you do it, you know. <laughs> which under- which understanding now, you know, may not be the most helpful approach uh right away but as we talk about brain development and if there are if there are things that children do that we feel that are like maybe advanced for where they are developmentally how do we how do we tap into that without being obsessive about what it is that they're doing and we just become so obsessed with wow you're learning how to do this let's do it 50 more times so that you're you know like the best at it you know yeah. but just like help them yeah. develop continue to develop what it is that they're doing. So an example of this was when Trey was young, we used to listen to, well, he is young, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe about a year ago, we would listen to music all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was always the same music every day on repeat to the point where he would come in on pitch (laughs) on certain songs. And me as a music person, I was blown away by that. I was like, how can I tap into this? Mm-hmm. Like, cause there is something happening happening that he recognizes mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is when this happens. And so again, like how, like how do we go about tapping into it, but not being obsessive mm-hmm. and allowing it to like control us because we know that our kids are, you know, advancing sooner than anticipated.
2: That is a great question. I, because it says a lot about the parent doesn't, doesn't it. Mm. What's great is that you are so self-aware. Right. All of us want our kids to be successful Mm -hmm. and happy and competent. Those are very normal adjectives in a sense that we would want our children to be described by. And therefore, we always think of uh, as because you are past the age of 10, which is great. uh, You (laughs) actually have abstract thinking, which means you see potential and you understand what can be, what could be given an opportunity to grow in certain areas. You see that as an adult. That's great. He's just in the moment. A couple things to remember is one, not being competent in everything is okay,
0: Mm.
2: right? And certainly it's okay not to be competent right now because ultimate competence comes after a journey. So to say, okay, the end goal is for them to be competent or good at this, but in the moment then we want to balance between Just what can we learn in the moment? And also, how can we enjoy that? Because any competence that comes without joy, chances are that child, even if we help them to become really competent in the skill, is going to get burnt out. They're going to become – they're going to hate it after a while. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many – How many high schoolers do I know that are amazing when it comes to soccer or football Mm. or dance or music or something? And then they're like, okay, you can go into college and even get a scholarship. And the parents are like, we poured all this time and effort into scholarships. And the kid's like, I never want to kick another soccer Mm. ball the rest of my life because they're done. They don't have the joy of it. So you want to look at both what is going on in their brain. What can we do to help them that next step? And all you're thinking is just the next step. Um, I think one thing, you know, Lauren, you asked about the ages and stages, whatever age or stage you're in, it's just one stage. It's, it's the, it's a chapter in the book. It's not the last chapter in the book and it's no more than a chapter in the book. So be right there with your child and even go ahead and commiserate with them, show them empathy. That is frustrating. When Mm. I want to do something and I can't do it, I'm frustrated. And so if they have this goal and they can't get there to say, that's frustrating, right? So when we're frustrating, a a question would be, along with being competent in the skill, so we teach our children to think, right? We're looking cognitively. But our cognitive development absolutely plays in to our moral and emotional development, Mm -hmm. right? So one theorist who is Kohlberg would actually say that However you reason what is right or wrong is based on that cognitive development. How do you understand the world and what is right or wrong to deal with it? So in that moment, you have a couple things that you can teach him. One, you are frustrated. How do we handle that? Do we just scream? Do we throw it? Do we yell? Do we give up? That may be our natural inclination. I kind of like all those choices personally, but probably doesn't. if I'm driving down the road and somebody's not driving correctly, I'm very good at spark- you know, pointing those people out. I might want to scream, but I have to make a choice of maybe the other people in my car won't enjoy that. So I think it through. Sometimes they suffer through. But I think through, okay, while I'm frustrated, what are my options here? He yeah. has no options. He's mm-hmm. too little to have options. At that moment, not only will you teach him about music, but you will help him think through, what are my options? So that plays right into your emotional development. That plays into our moral and spiritual development. And so take a deep breath. Let's acknowledge that you're frustrated, and it is hard, Mm -hmm. right? It's okay that it's hard. It's okay that you can't do it, right? Because our value as humans isn't based upon our performance. It's okay if I fail sometimes, because that's not what makes me valuable. The mere fact that I was born and I'm created in the image of God, I am valuable and loved, even if I never learned how to tie shoes, right? And yeah. there are some kids, honestly, even in high school, that can't tie shoes because they've only had Velcro their whole yeah. life. Let me just <laughs> tell you, right? It's okay. You're not a lesser human being. So it's in some ways, it's easier at that moment, but sometimes it's more complex because when you think about them being frustrated as the adult, go ahead and take a step back and go, what do I really want him to learn at this moment? What do I want him to learn? It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay that you didn't get it right. You know, Mm. then I can teach him like, okay, let's take a deep breath. And then let's really think through what do we want to do? And then you break it down for them. As an adult, we see the whole thing. We see the whole picture at once. He doesn't. He just is, here's the thing. I want it to be this. I want this thing I have to be this those steps in between at his age, he's gonna get those and learn the fact that in order to accomplish something, it takes a number of steps. He doesn't know that yet. Mm -hmm. He just thinks it should go from here to here and I should do something to it and you should get there. He doesn't know that. So you're teaching process as much as accomplishment. And that is between the age of two and five. Think, what am I teaching them to think about their emotions? Right? What do you want them to learn about that? I'm kind of big on making sure our kids don't grow up thinking they have to be good at everything, and especially mm. that they don't have to be good at everything right away. Go yeah. ahead and fail, yeah. embrace it. You're going to do it a lot. The older you get, yeah. right? Just embrace it, and that it doesn't have anything to do with with you as a person, right? Yeah, you can't be good at everything. So embracing the frustration, embracing it, and think process as much as end result. So. You might ask him if he's is he trying to snap something or tie something mm-hmm. what's the thing he's working on on his busy board.
1: Yeah so it's it's like a combination of things so they have like the the snap buttons okay. they have um well I'm just going to throw away shoelaces I mean that's yeah. <laughs> That's, that's you know, a little That's, about, that's yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah right? but they have like um like a velcro strip that actually goes through like a loop so that it comes around and then you um you know attach it to the other side. It's buckles. Uh he has the buckles that are similar to um I don't know what you call them they're not like a car seat buckle. It's like the ones you pinch. Yeah, the ones you pinch and they come. mm -hmm. Oh,
0: okay, yeah. yeah, I've seen those. Okay. So do we like help him do that? Do we show him how to do that? Do we let him just try on his own? This is so fun. I'm having such a good time right now.
2: Okay, (laughs) I want you both to just think, okay, just think, if you were to do it, what is the very, very first thing you would touch? Let's do the whole Velcro under the Mm -hmm. loop thing, right? Mm -hmm. What is the first thing you would touch?
0: The end tab. On like okay. un- Velcro, it. okay. What would you
1: touch? Um, I would like touch the the loop thing and okay. what Lauren did, like at the same time. Okay, no, no, prepare. no, you can't do the same time. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> no, no, Eddie. No, I would I would no, no,
0: no. Just He's one. trying to cheat.
2: cheat. <laughs> <this at> all. <laughs> I would,
1: I would prep, so I would grab the little uh, loop right piece.
2: See, mm. yes, isn't this fascinating? <laughs> you have a problem to solve, and you're not even going to start at the first step. You guys aren't even agreeing in the first step. Yeah. <laughs> Right? So we could turn this into a marriage thing right now. This will be so great. Which one's right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't I'm really matter. One. Right? So here's the thing also. Side note. Like we'll learn all these little side tips as we do this. So the side note is you're going to grab the loop. Right? And you're grabbing the tab. The tab. Mm-hmm. So which one of you is right? Neither.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> neither. I don't think so.
2: Okay, that's the right answer. But in marriage and life, we would certainly I'm want to right. pick out, Just do it this way. Yeah. Right? I remember one time, no I think we were teaching this to our children, and we had three kids in three and a half years. So they were. Oh we had gracious. three little ones under the age of five at one point. It was horrible. No, it wasn't. It was wonderful. Why would I say that? It was it's great. Okay. Now, emotionally and physically, you come to an end of yourself is probably mm-hmm. what I meant to say. Um, and there are times when... I really thought this is how you teach how to put mm-hmm. on a coat and this is how you mm. do the Velcro and we can get very invested in our way of doing things. So if we take a deep breath on that going, look, there's more than one way to do it, but you, if you're you no know, Eddie, so if you're the one with him right then with this buckle thing and he can't do it, don't show him the whole thing. Just show him the first step, mm. right? Just show him the first step. like, yeah. And you can even give him a choice since now we've discovered there's one, more than one first way, right? Do you want to hold the loop or do you want to hold the tab? You choose. He chooses, and then you can go to the next step, mm-hmm. right? And that's all you do that moment, right, now that it's done. But he helped. Mm-hmm. We know there's a first step. Um, children about up until the age of... Two, especially two to three years old, try not to have anything more than two or three steps. Yeah. You know, So if you tell them to pick up their room, first of all, way too big. What do you mean? There's so many steps to actually get a room clean. You tell them step, and if you can, if you need to have it like you do this, you do this, you do this, that's fine. They can do what we call serration where it's in line. Hmm. If they can just say, pick up the toy, pick up the the pillow, which one they want to pick up first? Let them have a choice if they can. If they need to do it in the correct lineup, two two steps are good. You do this and then you do this. Don't go do this, do this, do this, do this. Mm-hmm. Also, find out if they are finding like, okay, I've given them two steps. You put on your sh- you know put on your pants and then put on your shoes. If they've learned that and you find like, oh, I don't have to remind them anymore. They're ready then for th- a three step. Kind of direction. So watch your child's development. Be like Piaget. Really look and go what's frustrating them, what's not, how much can they handle? Because children will be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Also, if you have more than one child in your house, they're not going to learn exactly on the same timetable. Mm -hmm. So one of our children learned things very quickly and never forgot. Another child. (sighs) You can kiss that dream goodbye. Like, that is not happening. And then I had another one who's like, why are we doing this anyway, right? You're really good at it. Just put on my coat. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. you just do it. Yeah, and I'm not even going to cry about it. I'm just going to wait until you do yeah. it the most. And to this day, that child is patient. He just waits all day. Like, wow, I guess that's a good skill. Unless I'm trying to get Unless you dressed and out the door, right? <laughs> so when, you, when we talk about even frustration, Really being able as an adult to sit back and go, what is frustrating about this? How old are they? Where are they at? There are a lot of things to think about. If we can break it all down. So remember the stage they're in. So like at two to three, really simple directions. If they're not sure where to begin, show them step one, which we've discovered. Step one can be different depending on the parent, right? Can Mm -hmm. be different. Um, and then go ahead. If, if they've done step one, you can do it for them. Next time you do it, they may immediately remember stage one, like, oh, good job. That's so great. Let's do step two. And then you can show them. you can show it to them and then take it out and let them do step two. So as we break it down and they practice, and honestly, between the ages of two and five, you do that a lot and a lot and a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we have time for that. Like the practicing thing. <laughs> yeah. But did you say this is this belt thing is like goes with the car seat? Like the this no, but, snap thing? No, it's just a little board, but it is oh, okay. like the car seat. It's belt. like the car yes. seat. This is when as the child matures, like three, four years old, they're gonna all of a sudden one day wake up and realize this thing I'm doing on the board is it the same thing I do with my mm-hmm. car seat. Mm-hmm. And they're going to start taking this one problem solving skill. And they're going to be applying it to other areas. You want them to do that. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to use a skill in numbers of different ways. But maybe you can anticipate where you're going to get frustrated. They're not very quick at it. Yeah. So you put them in the car seat. They have this lovely new skill they want to try out. And now it's taken 10 minutes to get this kid (laughs) in a car seat. Yes. Time to have that patience again. Pray. It's always a good time to pray. Pray. Um, and if you don't have time to tell them, it's okay. But what you can do, they may want to try to do the whole thing themselves. It is okay for you to say no as a parent and say, you're not going to do the whole thing, but you are going to help. Mm-hmm. So you're going to hold the loop while, you know, well, going to hold the loop when daddy finishes it. <laughs> for mommy, hold the tab, yeah. and then I'll finish it. Yeah, Right? So you're always joining the children. So development, you've got to think journey. Mm. Break it down to those first beginning sections and then as they a lot of times a lot of their questions are just how does life work right so when brian asked them how do you go to heaven you got to die right (laughs) when they ask grandma died where is she they're probably thinking location yeah heaven Mm where's heaven up yeah okay good they might want to ask what does it look like This may not be theologically, even as a professor at Moody. I think it looks like Cinderella's castle from the Walt Disney World. You know that castle? Pretty sure that. And I think streets of gold. Just throw some gold streets on there and you're good to go. They look at their world and what they know. And whatever they know that's what you relate to. That's what they're trying to figure out. How do I, I I now know in the first year of life that this world stays here and there's some permanent things Mm -hmm. and I've begun to attach to things. And now I'm trying to put these things together and I'm gonna do that probably the rest of my life, but I'm just beginning. And then as you go through that early childhood, we're beginning to learn how logically things go together and we know they're not gonna get logic even as they're going through adolescence, but we're trying to build that idea of thinking. So when they ask you a question, Give them the most concrete answer you can all the way up until the age of 10. Mm. Don't try to go beyond that unless, and if you're not sure what they're asking, go ahead and ask them. You ask questions back. You want to think, one of the things Piaget did is talk about the reciprocal relationship in cognitive development. You affect them and they affect you. Mm. They change and so do you. And that reciprocal relationship is actually where the learning takes place. What do you think of that?
0: Well, you talked about um, choices and we're like really about choices in our house. It's always like, do you wanna do this or this? Do you want these shoes or these shoes? And I don't know where we learned that, the internet. I don't know, Instagram, Yeah, who knows. Um, but what? why is that important to a kid's brain? Why are the choices, them being able to have a part in the choices important for their developing brains? Yeah, so think about those
2: roads. And you're trying to get somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. We're always trying to accomplish things in general. So the child's trying to get somewhere, and you've got these neurons in your brain. And their neurons, they're not connected yet. But we're not even sure which road should connect. So it's almost like there's a wall between these neurons. And if I go down this road, I need to know there's a choice. So we can take down that wall, and maybe I want to connect it this way, or maybe I'll connect the road that way, or maybe I'll go this way. Choices allows those actual neurons in your brain to connect. So we have to give choices. In addition to that, I would add one thing. Choices aren't always possible in this Mm -hmm. world. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: It just is what it is. You don't get to go out when it's 10 below zero, (laughs) which it will be, sadly, soon here in Chicago. You have to wear a coat. Mm -hmm. So it's okay for them to know sometimes choices are – there's no choice. It's just a dead end. So it's not so much an either or Mm -hmm. because the brain needs to develop either way. I need to know when there are choices and I need to know how – and to develop that. But sometimes I need to know that even if I think there are other possibilities, all those possibilities aren't available to me. Mm -hmm. Right? So, yes, you're right. You could walk out into that snow with no boots and no coat, but that choice is not available to you. Yeah, I'm not going to let you do that. So then what in their brain are they thinking? Oh, there's this thing called authority. Mm-hmm. I don't always get to make the choices. The authority in my life actually tells me what's a choice and what's not. Mm-hmm. And you, and it's a, this is where the brain is so fascinating because it's not just putting the tab through the loop, right? Mm-hmm. It's also my perception of authority, mm-hmm. of trying, of how do I understand choices, moral choices when it comes to my emotions. And as that brain develops through all of that, every time you interact with that child, that brain is changing all the time. It's Mm -hmm. the most amazing computer. And so as a parent, um, be value-driven. What is of most importance? Great. And if – because if we're not careful, we will. All human beings become human doings if we're not careful. Mm -hmm. And we think then, what can my child do, right? So can – I want to develop the skill like with music because – being a great musician or really loving that, if that's what God has planned for them, we certainly want to develop their natural talents. But ultimately, I know you guys enough that your greatest value is that he'd use whatever skills God has given him for the glory of God. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So what's the greatest value? Mm-hmm. And how are we living out in those values? And then along the way, we'll make choices, but sometimes we don't have choices. So how do we handle the frustration of that? Mm-hmm. Everything is a learning moment. When they Mm -hmm. say, oh, you need teachable moments. Everything's a teachable (laughs) moment. That brain is constantly developing, right? Mm -hmm. You guys are doing great, though, as parents because
0: you're asking the questions. Yeah. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? How can we help? Yeah, so maybe it's like, no, wearing a coat, like, isn't an option. You have to wear a coat, but you can pick what color hat you want. Yeah. So you have a choice about something else. But I feel like in our house, it's every day. Brushing teeth is not an option. You have to brush your teeth. But you can pick what song we listen to while we brush our teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it, it, oh, it, brushing teeth.
1: It seems like it helps kind of just like with the power struggle. Yeah. Right? Like they really want something and we're just like, no, but hey, you get a choice in how you do this thing. Yeah. Right? Or the utensil you get to use. Mm-hmm. And then it just, again, like going back to the choice, it, it helps Alleviate. Soften the blow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it just helps with you know with the power trip yeah. that they're that they're on. Because our kids want control, right? They mm-hmm. they want to have control of what hmm. it is that they're doing. And sometimes like like you said, they have authority figures that tell them.
2: Yeah. So one of the things that you touched on, this is how great it is. There's a whole other thing we could talk about another day, but this is just cognitive, so interacting with that. But it's a thing called psychosocial development. And psychosocial development is really about our relationships. So it's my personality, my person, and then how I handle these relationships in my life. And there was a theorist called Erickson that said in every stage of life, In who I am and how I interact with relationships, I'm trying to achieve something different. In year one, zero to one, it's attaching. And we actually see that then cognitively as we figure out what's permanent and not. And how do I emotionally feel about that? And what do I do with that? From the ages of one to two, the second stage, their goal is I am realizing I'm a different person than you. And that does come with some power. And my autonomy and that autonomy in this toddler early childhood Mm -hmm. life is huge. I am my own person, but we need to manage it because just because I'm my own person doesn't mean I always rule the world. Right. So those things that you're seeing, even on that power struggle, Mm -hmm. that's his brain changing, helping him to figure out now that there's a world and I know there's stuff in the world. I'm now trying to figure out my place in the world. Yeah. And that's what you do mm-hmm. at two years old. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, <laughs> you have a neurologically developing <laughs> child that is right on point.
1: We did it. We you did it, right.
2: you did it, there you go. So welcome to, you're just gonna be seeing a lot of these challenges again and again for yes. the next year or so. Yeah,
0: We have one final question for you. It's a question that we're gonna ask all of our guests. But I'm gonna like tweak it. Italian. Little bit. No. <laughs> um, I'm gonna tweak a little bit. Because Ciliac. the question <laughs> is, what do, what do you want your kids to know about their development? But I'm going to change it and say, what do you want parents to know about their kids' development? Like the one thing you want parents to know.
2: I would encourage parents to take a deep breath and realize that the word development means journey. Hmm. And along that journey, sometimes um, I think of whitewater rafting. I actually loved doing that when our kids were younger and we had so much fun. There are times in that river where everything is wonderful and you're going right along. And then sometimes you come around a corner and you are not expecting those rapids or how big they were. Or sometimes there's something in the water and it just changes. You kind of just don't always know what's ahead. Mm-hmm. But even if you're in the whitewater rapids right now, it doesn't stay that way. You know, there's yeah. going to come a time. So it's, there's an ebb and a flow to it, the unpredictable, and it's just a part of the journey. And what we get to do with our children is we get to come alongside of them in that journey, very prayerful, um, asking God to really work in their life, to know Christ as young as they possibly can. D.L. Moody said that if a child comes to Christ, a whole life is saved Hmm. versus waiting until they're adults. So pray, be a part of that journey, enjoy the journey, but it's a journey. Every moment in time doesn't define the end of that journey. So even if you blow it, right, on those (laughs) days when you're not going to be patient and you're about ready to pull your hair out, um, it's okay. It's a journey. Take it step by step. And Mm -hmm. knowing that it's all teachable moments. Some you're going to get right. Some you won't. But uh, as long as you are on your knees praying, you're loving your child, enjoying them along the way, take some of that pressure off. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for being with us. No, it was so fun. You guys did great. Sharing with us. and. Like you said, it's really important to him brain development and science stuff and how a kid develops. And it really helps in our journey to kind of like somewhat understand what he's going through and his tiny brain. Tiny brain with so many things going on, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And to end our episodes, we'd like to say a benediction. Yes. Uh, So to him who is able to do far more than we can understand. May he give us the wisdom to raise our children to first love God above all else and love others as themselves. Go in peace.